Andrei Bogoslavsky, part two of Teenage Love During High School. Well, it's very complicated because everyone is beginning. Now it's, what, Thursday, 5 o'clock, New York City, very cold in my shed. It, it, it's very complicated to try to fall in love, to be in love when you are a teenager. And... Uh, and everybody experiments. So uh, this girlfriend I had and I, we were both experimenting with other relationships because you are, you know, you, you don't know your own feelings, basically. You're very young before your hormones stabilize, before age 20. You basically act upon your hormones. This is human nature. This is biology. And there is nothing much you can do about it. And... Uh, in our society, of course, we have complete liberty to date anybody we want. We, we, we are not going to hear any crossword from parents, or sometimes we do. Well, my parents never knew who I'm dating, where I'm going out. I'm taking care of myself, basically, after age 14, after I moved out from the house. And I, was, I managed my own time and my own schedule. So during this relationship, during high school, uh, I had different deviations. You know, I went to a resort on a Black Sea, on the shore of Black Sea, with my mother and stepfather for three weeks in a country called Romania. And we stayed in a beautiful resort. And uh, the other Polish tourists were bragging about this special beach for the nudes, for nudists. And it's called Adam and Eve. And it's surrounded by the wall. But you can go in there. So I went in there all naked. Yeah, I was 17 years old. And I see this beautiful girl. Oh, my God. Tall, blonde, blue eyes. And I started talking to her. She's also naked. And she's German. And I don't speak German. I didn't speak English. She was speaking English at the time. And we started going out. We went to a disco club. Then we went for lunch. And that went on for a few days. But I think the next day I showed up at this nudist beach again. And there was her mother. Oh, my God. 60-year-old mother, all naked. Hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> I was really out of place, you know. I was really kind of embarrassed. But everybody on that beach was naked. You know, 60-year-old people, you know, 20-year-old people, teenagers, little children. It was complete, you know, um, uh, nudist, nudist beach. That's what is definition of the nudist beach. And you swim in the water in the Black Sea. And then you sit on the sand on your towels and you have popcorn and some soda. And uh, so, you know, during my high school, I had other other romances with with very strange, strange acquaintances. I remember one guy was a baker in this small town where my mother lives, and he had a daughter who was running the shop, the bakery, with all the sweets, and I, I love the sweets, and I was buying sweets, and this baker wanted me to marry his daughter. He was just pushing this daughter, and I was totally not into his daughter. So what they did, they got me drunk. They invited me to their house and there was like, you know, a lot of food on the table. There were their cousins and everything and they got me drunk. And she sort of crawled on me on a, on a couch and started kissing and stuff like that. We didn't have any sex, but, but that was my other intimate experience. And of course, I had to walk back home all drunk. 
And uh, during the high school, I was very busy with my painting exhibitions. So I didn't really spend much time looking for a date. I, I wasn't really, you know, planning to get married anytime soon. That wasn't in my head. Of course, the girls from my class, from culinary high school, half of the class, half of 28 girls were from small villages. And as tradition goes, they wanted to get married after high school. They weren't planning to go to any universities. Many of them, half of them didn't even pass the high school diploma, which is a very hard exam, which gives you a meal ticket to the higher education, which is free. Higher education was free in a socialist country. So so, uh, many girls got married right after high school. Right after high school. And uh, I went to visit in 10 years ago, and many of them have, you know, four or five children, and the, the marriages either stay married, either fall apart, you know, different destinies these, these people had, their lives uh, turned out differently, one from another, you know, everyone, everyone uh, took a different road in life. I personally knew, you know, during the last three years of my high school that my future is at Academy of Visual Arts and being an artist. And that was my sole main preoccupation in the back of my head. And every dream I had and every hope I was and every minute I was trying to spend drawing, painting, doing everything to do with art, either organizing exhibits. You know, we were exhibiting in in these community centers all over the state, county, state you would call it. Well, it's like a quarter of Poland, the size of that area. Right now it's called, uh, it's like a quarter of the country. So 40 million, so population 10 million, that, that area. So the, the, the show of my paintings was traveling from one small town to another, from one community center to another. So, and we were getting uh, all kinds of benefits for letting our paintings into the show. We were getting free oil paints and canvases from the government. So there was, there were benefits from being actively active artist for, for, exhibiting your paintings, for producing artwork that qualifies for public exhibits. I was helping out once upon a time. Oh, what am I talking about? So going back to romances, so there were many opportunities. There were many opportunities, and often I didn't take those opportunities because I had this gut feeling that this girl is very straightforward and aggressive. She is coming on to me, and she has very, very specific plan in her mind. And here I am, 17, and she's 17. What the hell does she really want, you know, just to have sex and goodbye? You know, I wasn't into that, you know, I wasn't really interested. For me, intellectual uh, property of a human being and uh, similar interests or curioso, you know, dealing with intelligent people is more important, more interesting than just having a sex and goodbye, baby, see you next time. No, you understand? So for me, it's very inspiring to... To, to know interesting people who have something interesting to say about their current life, their current struggles, whatever they are struggling with, or the past struggles or the future plans they have. I'm very interested to, to, to listen to interesting people. You know, you have to be a good listener. You know, you have to be a good listener for many, many reasons. One of them is actually self-protection, to protect yourself from 
scammy idiots or who are unintentional idiots who, by association with you, will take you some bad places. So you have to be careful where you go and who you associate with. And that goes for love relationships. You have to be very careful, basically. You need to look at the girl and examine, you know, how she behaves, what is her language, does she abuse alcohol, does she abuse drugs, you know, uh, how how is she holding up to herself, is she good at school, does she have any plans, or she's all sluggish and lazy and sort of doesn't have much to say. I understand you don't have much to say when you're 15 years old, but just a simple question, which book is your favorite book, or what are you reading now? This is a good start of a conversation, you understand? Intelligent conversation that gives you substance about a human being. And if she's not reading anything, but she did read something two years ago, and she's going to give you the title of that book from two years ago, and uh, and then you know that she's not really into intellectual development. If you're 15, 16, 17, and you're not into intellectual development of your mind, that means you are setting yourself up for being a dumb idiot. And everybody will take advantage of you. Your boss, your employers, your your associates, your so-called friends. You won't be able to distinguish who is a good friend and who is a scam bag who came to your life to steal something from you. Because you have a bicycle. He doesn't have a bicycle. So he will cheat you out on the bicycle. So you understand? So you need to learn the wits. Your wits around the world. And partial wisdom comes in books. In books. In acquiring information. These legends that we're talking about. Gilgamesh. Odyssey. Iliad. There's even Bible. It, these are stories of human struggle and failure. Struggle and failure. And how people get up on their knees and start crawling and walking and running again. So these are great stories because nothing had changed in thousands of years. You will fail in your life. I'll guarantee you that. You will fail now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now. The question is, do you have tools to get up, crawl, and walk and run again and live your life again fully and happily because everybody fails. If you ask a human being age 40 or 50, did you ever fail in your life? Everyone will tell you, yes, I did. If with true, with hand on their heart, you understand? Some people don't want to talk about it because it's too painful. Some people don't think it's a big deal because it wasn't so painful. But everyone makes mistakes that will lead them to a dramatic failure in life. People call, call bankruptcies, they have divorces, they attempt suicide, all kinds of shit. All kinds of shit. You will see it even in your teenage years, in your high school, you understand? You need the tools to deal with these failures. And often parents don't teach you because they don't have time. Because they come back from work at 5, 6 o'clock. They're tired. They want to eat dinner and relax a little bit. So nobody's really teaching you how to deal. So you have to educate yourself. 
Period. Your high school is not prepared to prepare you for life. You need to learn about finances, economics, how to handle money, how to handle yourself if something bad happens, how you handle yourself when you are in a bad corner with five guys with knives who want your money, how to handle yourself in life, how to deal in situations where they appear to be impossible to get out. Once upon a time, what am I talking about? I'll tell you the story. I had fashion books and magazines, and I went to my first trade show for textile industry. Textile industry is where textile producers are exhibiting their new fabrics, and fashion designers, all the dress designers, come to place orders to look at new fabrics. And there I am with my little booth, 10 feet by 20 feet, actually. I bought a big booth, uh, showing my fashion forecasting, fashion books for fashion designers. And it was very successful. After the first day, I sent my employees home, you know, 6 p.m., Jacob Javits Center is 12th Avenue, uh, West Side, 34th, uh, 35th Street. My office was on 37th. So it's 7, 8 p.m., February 1994, dark. I have two or $3,000 in my cash in a pocket, and then I have credit card receipts, five $6,000, and I need to walk to the office. It's impossible to catch a taxi. There are hundreds of cars coming to pick up people. There are limousines blocking 12th Avenue. Impossible to catch a taxi. So I'm walking these five blocks, which at the time were the darkest, the stinkiest, the most dangerous blocks in New York City, Midtown. Prostitutions, drug addicts, drugs. I'm walking, walking, walking. And from the dark alley, I hear a voice. Yo, man, can you spare a cigarette or something? So I pull out the pack and I always give two or three cigarettes. That's my rule. Like somebody's asking me, I always give him two or three. So I pull out three cigarettes and I give it to him. And I'm looking at a gun pointed at me. He's pointing a gun at me. I'm giving him cigarettes and he's pointing a gun at <coughs> And he says, if you didn't give me cigarettes, I would shoot you. And then he walks away, and I walk away too. That was the most shocking experience in my life. Thank you for listening.